Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. on Monday. I apologize for that. That was my fault. I'm usually way more consistent. I, uh, I edited one. I just uh, didn't really get out there. So just figured we'd take a week off and uh, catch back up. Wasn't the intention, but I do apologize for missing last week. I try not to do that, but every now and then stuff happens. So I was uh, running around, spending a lot of time out in California, some time out in New York, uh, going up and down, eating food and doing jujitsu. So I made a lot of really good connections. I got to see some guests of this podcast, like Nako Nolan, that I never actually met in person before that we got to hang out, got to roll, do some training, catch up a little bit. Guys, great guy, good energy. Uh, Zach Cunningham, got to take some classes with Henry Gracie, got to train with John Danaher out in Austin, Texas. I was hoping to meet up with Gary Tonin. It did not work out this time, but, um, you know, getting to go out there and and meet some really good people face-to-face that I have in a long time, get some sun, eat some food, and uh, share some mat space and make some good business and life connections that uh, I had only done virtually before. It was, was pretty cool. So again, in the same week to be able to take a class from Henry Gracie and then take class a few days later from John Danaher, a very small gym out there in Austin, Texas. Pretty, pretty cool. I haven't gotten to spend much time in Austin, so that was an interesting one to go check out. I did go to a Jason Dries event out there on Do the Impossible. It was a mindset three-day thing that uh, I will do a follow-up podcast uh, next Monday. It should come out. I'm going to talk about that and uh, some of the the ins and outs of doing 200 plus episodes now. So I appreciate everybody coming back in, hanging in there. I got a bunch of episodes recorded already for the next probably six to eight weeks of guests that are pretty awesome. Different stuff on real estate, investing in land, uh, doing some turnkey stuff whole bunch of different things, a whole gamut, some uh, some MMA guys, some jiu-jitsu guys, some business guys. So it should be cool going out there to Mark Evans' event this week and to make some other good connections and uh, probably get some good names from that on the podcast as well, the people that are kicking butt in business and in life and uh, just good people. So I want more of those that I uh, hope to hope to be getting on. If you guys did not get a chance to check it out too, my buddy Lawrence Dunning, I was on his podcast into Lionheart. I was on uh, Robert Leonard's podcast. I was also on uh, Street Smart. So I've been popping up on some more. So if you're interested in having me on your podcast, I'd love to come on and talk about what I'm doing. It's a weird time in the world right now. So uh, it was good just to kind of get out and uh, meet some different people, get some different perspectives and just have some some downtime to kind of reflect on what's happening right now. So, uh, so shout out to Matt, the Terracera. He is getting a knee replacement on Tuesday. One of my favorite people, one of my heroes uh, on and off the mats. Uh, obviously, he's a massive reason why I am who I am today and has helped shape me and my brother. So pretty much my whole family and a lot of my friends, you know, we love Matt. Um, he's just been a great leader, a great friend, a great sensei, great teacher, and uh, just a freaking awesome guy. He's so funny, so genuine, so sincere. They don't make him like him anymore. I mean, you hear me gushing over him basically every episode. So Matt Sarah is one of the, the most amazing people that I know. So I wish him good vibes and a speedy recovery and successful surgery. And hopefully he will be back on the mats within the next six months. And Mr. Kurt Osiander. Kurt Osiander is, I believe, getting hip surgery on Thursday. So you have two absolute 
legends in the sport and two of the most unique, dynamic, original people you will ever meet in your life with Kurt Osiander and Matt Serra getting their surgeries Tuesday and Thursday this week. So reach out to them on their social medias, hit them up, send them wishes, send them thoughts, send them prayers, send them edible arrangements, send them pizza, send them stuff, whatever it is, but show them some love, show them some support, and I wish them a speedy recovery and successful surgery this week to both of you guys. Always been real cool to me. Appreciate you both. Uh, oddly enough, um, I needed to be off social media a little bit. I don't know if I noticed that, but man, everything is just like recession, 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 downturn, 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 downturn. And like, it's too late. You already missed out. And you know, a lot of the problem is, you know, there's there's vested interest in that in social media. So whatever that person has going on, you, you don't really know. So the messages change some of them have released some really good stuff for just the ways they're adjusting to it and just being cautious just in case, but man, I can't take the doom and gloom, you know? So I got away from the news for a very long time because it was just all negative, 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 negative. And then obviously, you know, you, you come to social media to get out of there. And now that's become almost the same type of platform that there's just so much bad information and bullshit on there that you can't really filter through. So kind of getting away from that too. It's a little annoying even with Instagram, the way that they have like the different accounts. They got a couple of flag accounts in there and they won't do anything about it. It's just weird. So I don't know what's going to happen in the world, but I will say for this podcast, my whole thing is what is happening with the real estate market? What's happening with the world? Are we heading towards a downturn? Are we heading towards a market crash? Is this a major recession? Is it the roaring 2020s or the, you know, whatever it is everybody's saying there. So here's my take. I've invested through a complete market cycle, um, a couple, couple mini cycles too, but I invested through the last crash. I started getting interested in real estate when things were getting good. Everybody was getting the no money down loans. Everybody was getting the, as we call them, the liar loans. You could get the adjustable interest rate and the property would just on based on the appreciation in six months go up just like it is now. You could really, you really couldn't miss, you couldn't lose until you could. So um, a few things that are very similar to the last crash is obviously the the market just going crazy. You know, it being very easy to get loans is another another big thing there. Um, the investing everybody, you know, it's it's weird because there there's so many other factors that that go into it. So you know, talking about some of the stuff that caused the last crash. All right, so mortgage brokers, banks, lenders definitely were a massive part of that by getting people into properties they had no no business being in. So literally. They would do what was called liar's loans and they would come in and say hey bob you're gonna buy this house and you're gonna say that you make you know, six thousand eight thousand dollars a month and bob would say well i i don't even have a job or i don't make anywhere near that and they say it's okay bob everybody does this it's called a liar's loan you're gonna you're gonna fill this out it's stated income and when you get this we'll put you on an adjustable interest rate so you're only paying principal for the first six months maybe we'll get you some money back at closing and then over the period of the next 6, 12, 18 months, this property is going to keep appreciating and you're going to be rich. And then you just turn around, you sell, you refinance it, and you're all good, Bob. And they go, well, you know what, Bob, if you can make 50 grand on this, you really don't have to put any money in and we're going to give you the 110% loan to value on this, then why buy one? Why don't we buy five? So Bob would take out, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars of real estate loans on an adjustable rate mortgage with, you know, initially no equity paying market value, maybe even over market value and getting some cash back closing or whatever it may be. And then the market started not appreciating anymore. And then the prices started to drop. And then the days on market started to go higher. And all those things started to happen. So that resulted in 
people started getting stricter on loans. They're not going to give out the liar's loans anymore. They're not going to let you pull out 120% equity lines because people were pulling equity lines like crazy out of their properties. They were doing the birth strategy. They were just pulling out money and renovating all this stuff that they didn't need or care about to upgrade their own personal home. And it was personal stuff in there, like personal preference things. Like I've walked, I walked into a $900,000 house a couple months ago when the guy did all these amazing like finishes on it. It was great if it was your home, but now he's trying to sell it and he's not going to get that back out because at a certain point, the upgrades aren't worth that amount of money. Somebody's not willing to pay for like the top, top, top of the line stuff in some of these neighborhoods, even though taste-wise it was amazing, you're not going to cough up an extra hundred grand because somebody went for the high, high end for their own stuff. So there was a combination of things there. And then the other part of that was a lot of people got into speculative investments, such as pre-constructions, uh, new developments, up and coming areas, things like that, that they would go in and um, have a combination of either like buying really cheap houses because they thought it was just going to be easier and no headaches or going and getting into like phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, pre-construction properties. So there was a lot of building going on. So it became a part where there was more supply and less demand. And a lot of these things were purely investor driven. So let's say you have a subdivision out in California, subdivision out in Arizona, or Florida, you get all these investors to put in money in phase one. So they're getting on like the, the cheapest phase possible. And then the builders take that money, they build out phase one, and then they get to phase two. And now they do another run. And if you stay in your value is, is, is higher now because now to buy in is now an extra 20, 30, 40, $50,000. So obviously the more they develop the land, the more they put on there, the more it's going to be worse. So that stuff all checks out. Then they go to phase two, then phase three, then phase four. So you could cash out at any time, but basically the builders, the developers are taking investor funds using OPM, which I get paying them a return and incentivizing them with a better, better project or sorry, better profit, better return to invest earlier. And then if you stay until the end, you sell it at market value, you get a higher return. So what started to happen was there were so many of these and they were purely investor driven instead of looking to invest in ones that were maybe 50, 50, 60, 40 primary owner to investor or, uh, you know, own to rents or something along those lines. And so then it wound up becoming like, well, crap, you know, the market's starting to tank. People aren't getting loans anymore. These properties are sitting here we need to start dropping the price. So they'd start dropping the price and dropping the price and dropping the price. And then all of the neighboring developments started going, well, we need to sell ours too. We got a shotgun on the markets going down. So we got to start dropping the price. So they started dropping the price, dropping the price, dropping the price. And then eventually it got to the point where it was almost a loss or a break even. And now they have to still pay back the investors. The investors are losing their money. The developers are losing their money. And at some point they go, you know what? We don't even want to, we'll just write it out at this point. So Let's just make them rentals. So then they take these buildings. I saw in New York City, one of the buildings I lived in for a while was actually supposed to be condos, turned around, made them rentals. Got like it was an amazing place to live for a little while, but it wasn't what it was meant to be at that time. It was supposed to be high-end condos. So they were going to sell them. They wound up having to rent them because they couldn't get a lot of the loans for that, or they couldn't get the value that they wanted as pro forma when they first initially started buying into those projects or building those projects. So then they go, okay, well, we're going to rent, 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 right out the crash. And then people are going, well, we're going to rent too. So now you're dropping your rent, dropping your rent, dropping your rent, dropping your rent. So obviously like anything else with supply and demand, when there's excess of something, you know, now you're in a buyer's market and the buyer can be choosing it. It's kind of like, well, what are you going to do for me? So, you know, I, I say a lot of analogies like dating, but you know, if I have one other person in my entire town and that's it, that's the only other single person. I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta get kind of picky. Okay. So maybe she's six, five and you know, whatever, you know, who knows, who knows, whatever the things are that just look weird that are not whatever fits me. So 
I'm just going to have to make it work because there's not a lot of opportunities there. So it's like, well, she doesn't want to get married. She doesn't want to have kids. She doesn't like blue. She doesn't like jujitsu. She's like pizza dogs, real estate. And I'm like, well, you know, really what choice do I have? That's kind of what it is in the seller's market. I'm sorry to be in the seller's market. So if you have the product, you can get more for it because there's not a lot out there. When it changes, if I go, hey, look, I have literally 300 people outside my door right now that are all, my whole town's single. That's all it is. Everybody's single here. I can take my time. I can pick who I want. I can be picky because I have more of a selection. So that's where they came from a little bit. Now, when you look at this market, let's talk about some things that are different. One, I've read a lot of studies that the equity lines that people have taken out are significantly less than they were when the market crashed last time. So there's not on paper supposed to be as many people upside down on their properties. So last time, again, that was another thing where when people bought over market value and then pulled money out over market value, banking on the fact that it was going to appreciate over time, and then they couldn't, and then their rates adjusted, and now they can't afford their debt service every month, and now they, they can't sell a property on the open market because it has no equity. Now what they have to do is they have to turn around, and if they can't come up with the cash themselves or right up that way, they have to do a short sale or what they call a pre-foreclosure, meaning that the the person has to go now, get an offer accepted, go to the bank and have the bank accept some sort of uh, home loan, <coughs> excuse me, home loan modification where they're willing to adjust the rates and the terms to make it an affordable loan for that person or sell to an investor who is willing to come in, pay something, but not pay what it's owed. So maybe now the property is worth 200 and the people owe 250 on the mortgage, they'll come and go through the whole process of working with the short sale negotiator, loss mitigation of the bank and the hardships and all the things you have to do when you deal with short sales. Shout out to my buddy, Matt Marinoff, the short sale savage. He can help you too. But they go through that process and then the bank has to approve the sale of that property for less than what they're owed on it. So they're taking a hit, a loss or a short on that. So a short sale, it means they approve the sale for less than they're actually owed on it. So they took a hit, probably wrote it off. Very common then. Who knows what they'll do now? But my point is, when they go now into this market that we're in, there shouldn't be as many because the fact that the market has gone on such a crazy run, there's equity. So if people really needed to shotgun off their house to pay their bills or whatever, there's people that just accidentally, especially in some of these hot markets, are sitting on two, three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. So even if it starts to go down and they have to do something crazy, you still can maybe pull out a refi on that to pay some bills, maybe do some sort of blow modification if you're behind in a hardship, maybe do some sort of forbearance, which I'm sure now there's all kinds of things that they came into play with because of COVID that they'll come up with something else because they obviously don't want people foreclosing on all their properties. So that is one thing that probably won't happen as much. Now, there's still going to be those. I still come across those, but as a whole, it shouldn't be as detrimental. So the fact that historically less and less people have purchased things for over market value and refinanced or pulled money out of that for consumer debt type things should mean that there's less of a crash. Less doesn't mean it's not there, but there's distressed sellers now all the time too. Who knows? You know, again, I'm just going off of theories and hypotheses. So does that mean it can't happen? No, there's still going to be cases like that all the time that do. There's still people that bought stuff today. And if the market goes down, then okay, that's what happened. But I don't think that there was as much speculation. Uh, people are doing things for a little bit of a longer term, Airbnbs, things like that. But, you know, it's a little bit of a mixed bag of nuts, but I don't think that there was as many of that going on as last time. And I don't think as many lenders were willing to do that as carefree 
as last time. So there are some people out there that were smart. They don't have amnesia. They remembered all the stuff that happened last time. So they are going to put things in place to try and hedge their bets a little bit to make sure that they're taking less of a risk this time around by going out and putting putting security measures and safety measures in place to not repeat the past, so to speak. Now, will it still happen? Of course it will, but should it be on as big a level? No, because not everybody's an idiot. Not everybody forgot what happened. There's tons of them that did have an invested through the crash, got greedy. That's a whole other thing we'll talk about. But as a whole, I think the loan to values and the short sales will be less. So second part of that is the demand, you know, so we're, we're just not in a place right now. When you have 10, 12, 15 offers, all cash over asking price, there's just not going to be as big a detriment right now. So the only cure to that would be if they have a lot of new homes built. And right now materials are expensive and labor is expensive. So at some point, if material costs start to come down, if labor costs start to come down, because less and less people are now buying less homes or getting approved for less mortgages or not able to pull as many as many refinances or cash outs on their home to do improvements, then maybe the contractors get busy, get uh, not as busy again. And now we have a little bit of play because right now they're they're busy, they're they're they have too much work, so they can charge a lot of money. So Again, supply and demand, the contractors are the hot chick right now, so they can call their shots. It doesn't always happen. That changed fast. But the same way a year and a half ago, people were like, oh, my God, the hotels, the poor hotels, the travel industry, the Delta, American Airlines, like, what are we going to do? Like, nobody's flying. They're going out of business. And now, like, the shit that they're charging us for flights and hotels is insane. It's like, did you guys forget, like, that you almost went out of business and people, like, actually felt bad for you for a little bit and... It's funny how within like a year now, like people can barely afford to travel again. So, and again, I know gas and stuff like that has gone up. So there are things in place anyway. So I don't think you're going to have as overnight a drastic issue because when the market crashed last time, there was so many projects half done and so much investor speculative things built and owned and flipped and sitting on the market and all those fun things that we just don't have right now. So even if they do start to catch up, which they will, because things are going to correct a little bit. So maybe not a crash, but a correction should be more the proper term. And then after the correction, you see kind of which way it goes and how things adjust, but it was overdue for that anyway. So maybe there's, it's not as hot. It cools down a little bit, which is no normal. It's a different type of thing, but it's a, it's a market cycle. It's a business cycle. You can see them over and over again for the last decade after decade after decade after decade. It's pretty repetitive. It happens. So I do think that that you will see a little bit more of days on market going up, data last sale going a little bit longer, less and less above asking price, less and less cash offers, less and less above. And then, so maybe you go from 12 to, to 12 offers to six offers to four offers, two days on market to two weeks on market to two months on market. And that seems to be like a, you know, a normal, a normal market. So the things swing a little bit, but I, I don't see it happening drastically overnight. So a couple of things that are on our side, demand is high still, supply is low still. Not a ton of short sale options right now for people being silly with their money and the lenders holding things a little bit for the most part in place for not making it a total disaster with those liars loans for the last 10, 12 years. Some of them do it, but not as crazy. So that is a couple of things that I think play in our favor for the corrections. The other thing is just looking at statistics that things are still going up. People are still moving. The interest rates going up are only causing people to buy more in a lot of the middle income places because people get FOMO. So they want to start buying a little bit more, buying a little bit more, buying a little bit more. And at the end of the day, I don't think the government wants a recession. So we'll try and find something there. Now, I've been telling people for years, if something else happens, that when things correct, 
if the government tries to bail everybody out like they did last time by just uh, printing money, it's going to cause a devalue of the dollar. It's going to be a mess. I didn't think that they would do it. They did it. I was wrong. Didn't see a pandemic coming, but was actually right about that whole thing. So for anybody who heard me ever like uh, teaching a class or doing a, a meetup or, or any sort of thing for the last like few years, I, I did not call the pandemic, but I 100% talked about this exact situation of what's happening right now. Just saying, hey, logically, like they can't do that again because the things that we're seeing right now are going to happen. So they probably won't. So we've been talking about kind of stocking your cash up for the crash. So it does become a sale on real estate, which again, I'll kind of get to. So now the other parts of this are, it's a lot more expensive with the interest rates. So your payments for the debt service for the same house are going to be a lot higher. So a couple of examples today that it made a difference of almost $900 a month. So when the interest rates go up, that's going to start to adjust things in a big way. You start to see it a lot more first on the higher end stuff, because that makes a lot more of a difference, obviously, when you're looking at the percentages, like a half a percent on 100,000 versus 1% on 100,000, when you get up to five, seven, nine, a million, starts to make a massive, massive difference there. So that will shift. So I definitely think that it's another reason why I like to play within those middle income price points within those FHA loan limits, because if you look at the median house prices, generally those don't get as affected from retail buyers over the course of the last kind of recession, that middle income stuff stayed okay. The higher end stuff got beat up. The lower end stuff became desirable and then went up a little bit, but became a headache for some of the, the stuff that people bought trying to cash flow and ride it out with liars loans on the low income stuff that really was hard to sustain. You did need to keep putting money into it or for the higher end stuff because people start to go, well, you know what? I don't need all these extras for this amount, extra amount of pain though. So you do start to see the high and the low end start to cancel out a little bit. And then that kind of middle affordable index just floating around there, that working class, that median income, that FHA price point per county, those are the ones that I still like to stay in. You don't see as big a change there. I mean, there still might be some, but the rentals, the middle income stuff that was the, the C and the B class commercial stuff did fine. I mean, a lot of that stuff, because if you think about it, the way I've looked at it is, Interest rates start to go up. That means people can afford less and less of a house. All the fear is what drives all this stuff. Fear drives the market at the end of the day. So if people are unsure, they're, they're not confident, they're worried about what's going to happen, then, okay, well, what are we going to do? Russia, gas prices, inflation, all these things. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then they start to say, well, let's just wait. So the hedge funds start to go, well, we're going to hold off on our acquisitions for a minute. The people go, oh my God, the hedge funds aren't buying anymore. It's the end of the world. And then the lenders go, well, we're going to make our, our lending criteria a little bit tighter. So now they start to pull back. Maybe loans that were sort of approved get squashed out, which is a, a whole other issue. So people are saying, well, I can't get funding as much. So if I can't get funding as much, I can't invest as much. If I can't invest as much, that starts to affect the buying, which makes the market start to go down. Now there's more inventory because it's not selling. So it's, it's all a catalyst to each other that's built on fear and uncertainty and that people start to act on it to correct certain things. And then it causes this, this just tidal wave of stuff that just happens as a, as a result of it. For instance, again, now let's talk about what happens. So if we're still in a situation where there is high demand for places to live, especially people moving out of cities to suburbs, still maybe still working from home, still all kinds of different things here. And now the amount of house that they can buy for their money just got lower because of inflation. And now lending criteria starts to get, get more strict so they can buy less. Now what they have to do is rent. And our rent's already been pretty, pretty crazy. The rents have, are higher than ever, multiple offers, almost like the sales. So now we're looking at is a rental market going to be stronger or weaker 
when the sales market is weaker or stronger. Generally, you'll see a little bit of an inverse. So if people are not buying houses, the rental market is going to be that much stronger. So maybe the lending criteria gets stronger, which means that rent goes up. And especially if we're in now a situation where demand is still low, maybe construction loans are getting shot down. You know, who knows what's happened with that industry? Interest rates going up there. So the harder they make for people to build new houses, inventory is still going to be low, demand is still going to be high. The harder they make it for people to get loans to buy them, they're going to have to rent them. And then there's going to be this whole other problem. So at the end of the day, I still think that the big niche in the market that's for the foreseeable future going to be a smart play is just going to be affordable housing. I mean, you talk about mobile home parks, talking about tiny homes, you're talking about people trying to get more and more density. I'm seeing all this crazy stuff, this stuff that looks like dog houses in some of these, these areas. I just watched this whole like community thing where people were building basically like rooms and like just it's like a giant house hack building kind of thing, like almost like a commune type deal. So more and more, I, I think that people are going to have to move towards renting rooms or, or smaller spaces or the construction that is going to go up. They're going to have to work with putting a lot more density and smaller stuff on there and people are going to have to sacrifice for less space and just have a place to live at this point to function, you know, so maybe they need less house, they downgrade, maybe, you know, and maybe that becomes a whole thing that people realize that they didn't need all that home and they get out more. And now it reignites this whole outdoor culture again, where people aren't spending all their time behind screens and VRs and all kinds of stuff. So something always winds up being a development of something else. So, you know, a couple of things there again, it's just my guess. Um, I, I think we're still solid a little bit. I still think there's money to be made and, you know, you look at some of these other things where I was listening to David Green and Ed Milet, which is a great podcast, but he talked about something called, uh, I have to look it up, but it was like a, basically like community psychology saying that when people are not confident in what is going on, they start to look to others. And then those other people give each other a false sense of confidence for, oh my God, interest rates are going up. Oh my God, what's going on with Russia? Oh my God, gas, oh my God, the economy, oh Biden, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And then they go, well, it's going to crash. We should sell. Yes, you're right. It is. We should sell. We should sell. And then they all convince themselves that they're all right about whatever that thing is. So they all feel confident making a decision and they make an emotional reaction to it. And that causes a slight opportunity for us who are looking for it to pick up properties at a discount, which he told a story, if you have, haven't listened to it yet, about how it was a smaller window where these investors in, in Hawaii, which is the exact example, but it applies everywhere, Go, oh my God, what the market's gonna crash. We should really ditch these while we still can before the prices drop. So they sold the properties at a discount to David. And then they lifted sanctions in Hawaii for travel again. And as soon as they did that, his properties appreciated like a million dollars each or something crazy like that. And he made a freaking fortune on the properties and now things are good again. So, you know, I look at it where if I would have taken a little bit more of a chance or gambled a little bit, not such as I guess a little bit gambling because I wasn't sure, but I wish it would have been more aggressive with the stuff I bought at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, obviously crystal ball would have been great, but you know, people held up and some people went guns blazing and the ones that did, and they just started buying everything. They're doing great right now. So, you know, you, you just never know. You just never know. So I, I bought stuff and it's gone up. I bought stuff at the right times, and the wrong times. But my, my new thought on that here is that he did talk about how with, I guess he didn't really talk about it, but my, what I took from it, what my thoughts kind of put together are with social media with the world as a whole and with us being connected on a way that we really weren't the last time, especially on the real estate side. Uh, you know, I always made money every year in real estate, didn't matter what happened. I know that regardless, 
if the market crashes, if the market goes up, if the market sustains, I've made money in quote unquote down markets. I made money in up markets, cash flow park markets, flip markets, uh, you know, low income markets, high income markets, you know, doing big flips, doing little flips, doing lease options, doing seller financing, doing a lot of bank owned foreclosures, uh, pre foreclosures and all that stuff we, we did really well on when the market was in the tank last time and we still made money. So I'm still a big believer that if you can figure out where the, the source is to get properties at a discount, there's always going to be somebody looking to buy them. And it was no different for the last 15 years. I haven't always bought from the same sources and sold to the same sources. It switched around a lot, but it just kind of is going like a slingshot or a boomerang back again. slingshot boomerang boomerang is coming back again. So I feel like no matter what, the scariest part is the in-between. That in-between shift that we're at right now, and we were at the beginning of the pandemic, where it's like, maybe we're not going to go on this like six, seven year, 2006, 2008 type of thing where it's all crazy. But maybe now because of the way the world is, and we don't let things go too far one way or the other way without us all being connected, the people fighting back, the politicians and everybody seeing everybody in up in arms and these crazy campaigns that happen with all like the Black Lives Matter and, you know, People have voices now and those voices are harder to ignore. So I feel like moves are made to correct things and things aren't easy to sweep under the rug. And, and when people want something fixed and they want attention, it, it becomes it becomes news, it gets out there. So they push those things. So maybe what we're looking at now is even if there's a quote unquote crash, it doesn't become like a long-term thing anymore. Maybe our crashes now and our market cycles now tend to be like six months, two years, you know, nothing too crazy long um so back to what david was saying there he was talking about these little lapses in judgment where you have the opportunity to kind of pop in and grab something where there's a little bit of crack in the armor of what's going on by reasonable logical smart business people going in and making emotional decisions where us as the investor if we can look at it and say i know it's going to go back up i don't care when I know that if I get this now, it'll be a good deal. I just have to ride this out for 6, 12, 18 months, whatever it is. Make sure that you have reserves, if it's going to be cash flow or whatever it is, to sustain that debt until the market comes back. It almost always will. I mean, it always has. Literally, it always has. So um, if we go historically, I will say it always will. Um, you know, you never know. I obviously don't have <coughs> excuse me, crystal ball. But I do like that. And that did open my eyes to where we are right now. Whereas people are kind of bracing themselves just like they were two years ago. We didn't really know what was going to happen. And, you know, interest rates, people were investing in stuff when the interest rates were 16, 18% 20, 30 years ago, and they were still making a bunch of money. So if you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate soon, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesale, and fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com. Go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. I think if we can come in, there is an opportunity right now in the in-between when other people are putting the brakes on to come in and make smart plays, not risky plays, not stupid plays, not uneducated plays, but maybe do find those ones where people are willing 
to shotgun sale stuff off and you can get it at such a discount that you almost can't lose or you can make so much cash flow on it that you'll be okay. Now, Airbnb, I do not know how that's going to go because I don't know, you know, what the price is them now, the vacation markets now, um, what they're, what they're going to do. You know, I don't know if people are still going to be going on vacation and, and travel, like what, what's going to be travel. So we're not really looking as much as the part of what's helping us is that the retail market, the people that actually want to buy homes and live in them, they're having a shortage. Also, there's been two, two and a half years now. That's a whole other thing that has never happened before. You're coming off a pandemic where people didn't work. Everybody for the last two years, job market got terrible. The people that are working, the, the bar is set so low. It's so hard to find good help. There's less flights. There's less restaurants. There's less hours. People are sitting around watching Instagram videos and TikTok videos, and they're thinking they're either going to be a successful investor and they're just waiting for it to come, but they're very complacent and they're living off of whatever free money they got and they were able to live off of for a year or two, or they think they're going to be a, a YouTube star or a reality show star or whatever it is, but they're not really doing anything. So I think it's going to be a massive wake up call that people are going to start running out of money and then they're going to go, well, I thought this was going to happen, or I thought that was going to happen, or I thought my, my, my real estate business or my Bitcoin or my whatever cannabis shop was going to take off. And, and now it didn't. And now the recession's coming or the economy is not as strong and people aren't spending as much and I don't have as much to live off of. So maybe I'm not going to go to Florida or Vegas or the Rocky mountains for a week with my family or 10 of my buddies. So I don't know. I, I, I don't invest that heavily in them. So I would be interested in having a discussion on, on, on this with somebody else who does and actually just watch and kind of see what happens over the next six months and you know go into those markets that no matter what markets sell markets down like the Vegas's and Orlando's that are around Disney that always still kind of do well and, and land on their feet like those might be great places but I don't know you know it's become uh, kind of the cool thing but you see stability at least in real estate that you're not seeing a place like Bitcoin but when there's fear there's doubt there's insecurity it causes people to tighten up and make emotional decisions and now you topple that in with the fact that there is stocks that have been crashing, crypto that has been crashing, gas prices and living costs are astronomical, inflation's up, like stuff's going on. So how do we overcome that? So obviously, if the interest rates are up on rentals, you have to get it cheaper or you have to bank on higher rents, which if people are not making money, and it's harder and harder, more expensive to live. I don't see how that sustains itself and, and keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening. Um, so there's some some good things there. But if you can get a good property now at a discount, obviously with inflation six, seven, eight percent, you're going to have to be able to come in with interest rates at six, six percent, whatever, seven percent, wherever they're at today, and get a deal that you can cash flow higher than that. So you know, we're going to look at cap rates and rate of returns needing to be higher, cash on cash needed to go higher, which means the purchase price is going to have to be lower. So it might be a great time to pick up multifamily, single family rentals. You know, right now we're at that thing where things are probably going to go down a little bit. So you just have to understand that on paper, the values on stuff might dip a little bit. But if you're getting things that you're, you're banking on the cash flow for the next 12, 24, 36, 40, three to five years, then you know you're still probably okay. That's that's probably a great thing to look into invest as long as no other circumstances come in. And then if the rates go down, you can refinance. And if they keep going up, then people look back and say you were a genius for buying them at six when rates are now at nine or ten, whoever, whatever it may be. So, you know, that could be definitely a good thing there. So it really where you have to 
watch what's happening right now, in my opinion, again, smarter people than me out there, this is just what I see, is your risk tolerance for bigger projects. So longer flips, stuff that the value in three, six months could be lower, or people might not have gotten priced out of whatever you're selling because the interest rates went up. So there's less the demand for it. So I think that that's scaling down. If you're banking on the value and the demand and the approval rates being there for your buyers, that's something you have to really look at right now. Because again, you take a flip, you want to do a huge flip where you're pulling permits, city's backed up, supplies are backed up, your job gets flagged for whatever reason, something happens that now it turns into a six-month flip or a six-month renovation or a six-month build or whatever it is. And now you're going, all right, well, I mean, and the institutional guys and the big developers, they, they have cash to sustain this stuff over time. They, they're, they're making their margins in but for the average investor that's doing stuff like that. It's like, okay, well, now I have to put in the market. Now maybe average days on market became 60, 90 days. So you know, you may be holding that project for, you know, six, nine, 12 months. And where's the market going to be? You know, that house that you thought you were selling for 500, you know, now maybe now people can only afford a $325,000 house because of the way interest rates are. Maybe there's a whole bunch of other properties that came on the market that didn't sell. So there's a little bit more inventory. So just things to look at. So I'm a bigger believer right now in either playing a long-term game for getting properties at a discount with some equity built in and having enough buffer in there for cash flow. If it goes up or down a little bit, you're still okay. And having enough of a play in there for having long-term low interest debt that you don't have to refinance out in the next three years when you don't know what's going on with interest rates or it's crazy. So if you can lock in good cash flow, some built-in equity, some stable middle-class markets with long-term low interest debt, it's gonna be a safer play. You know, I would definitely be a little bit more careful of the stuff of trying to get in and get out and make a hundred grand in three to six months. But again, people are still going to do it. And that's great. I'm sure people are going to make money. I hope they do make money. I just look at my risk tolerance. That's really what this comes down to is understanding your product, understanding your market, understanding the risks of every investment, because every single real estate investment does have risk. So you could listen to me and say, I'm going to go buy a rental, but you buy it in, in a bad area and you didn't do, you mishandled the rehab, you mishandled the contractor, you had a crappy property manager something else happens besides a pandemic, you know? So there's things that could go wrong. At the end of the day, you have to be diligent on what you're buying. You have to look at your numbers and you have to stress test your deals for what happens if the rents drop? Can I still sustain this? What happens if the values drop? Can I still sustain this? What happens if I do need to refinance out in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, 36 months? What's the best and worst case scenario looking like? Did I take investors on this? How do I pay them back? What's the timelines looking like for that? So things you want to take into account. So. Wrapping up here, are we heading into a market crash? Damn if I know. So that's the other thing that I learned at the beginning of this pandemic was I listened to all these people to find out what's happening. I just was listening and taking classes and getting on webinars and listening to masterminds. Everybody had an opinion. Very smart people had opinions. Very successful people had opinions. Very educated people and experienced investors and business people and economists and finance guys and girls. I watched all of them and they all said different things. And they all did different things. And some of them might have been right and some might have been wrong. But at the end of the day, everybody was just taking their best guess and nobody really knew. So that's what I've learned this time too, is there's things that happened last time that I know to look out for, but there's also variables that were not there last time. It's a different world than it was in 2006 and 2008. So when you put that recipe together for that disaster that happened last time, yeah, there's some similar ingredients, but it's not the same recipe. So it's not going to be the exact same thing because like we were talking about in this episode, there's some things that 
are in our favor that make it look like it's probably not going to be as bad as it should be. And then there's some other things on there that are like, well, you know, things are looking kind of grim on some of these other sides. So how's that going to affect these other things? And then it's a big old mixed ball of ball of nuts, mixed bag, bag of nuts, ball of wax, whatever it may be. So um, it's a recipe and it's a formula. It's a variable. And right now it's all kind of getting thrown in and we're all waiting to see what all these ingredients with these big messes in of people and, and interest rates and financing and stock markets and gas prices in the world. Like, what is this big blend of crap that's going on right now getting thrown in and what's it going to come out as in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And my, you know, best piece of advice is just to keep your ears open, not make any uneducated business decisions and, and just watch and just stress test your deals and, you know, figure it out because no matter what happens, what I do know is there's always a way to make money in real estate, regardless of what happens in the market. It's just a matter of figuring out where the, where the money is. So it's always just moving. It's always just flowing in a different way from different buyers, different sellers, different exit strategies, better places to go get discounts, better places to sell retail where you can make more money on it. So we just figure it out by keeping our ears open, keeping ourselves educated and making non-emotional decisions and uh, just, you know, playing it month by month, week by week at this point, going out there and having a good old time. So I will continue to really, uh, I'm going to make a plan to actually be more active than I have been uh, during the pandemic and go after some bigger stuff and not necessarily bigger stuff, I shouldn't say that, but be more active on smarter plays and really start to uh, do some more of these over the next few months to talk about what I'm seeing and what I'm learning as I go to different places and talk to people in my masterminds, like the Mark Evans one I'm going to, or the people I met at Jason Drees, and really just stay connected with some of the circles because I have some amazing circles, some very smart people and some very active investors as well. And I plan on staying in touch with them very closely over the next three, six, nine months to figure out what everybody's doing that's working and that's not. And so what's benefiting me will benefit all of you. So if you're not listening to this enough and you're not telling your friends about it, please get this out. A game podcast. Um, we got some good guests, but we're going to do some good solo episodes and keep in here because I will give it to you very straight on uh, kind of what's working, what's not working, what I'm hearing, what I'm doing. And you can benefit from that at a time that it's very important to stay plugged in. So thank you everybody for watching, listening, subscribing again, nicknicknick.com slash links to follow us on all social platforms and to subscribe to this podcast every way possible. Like please go there, subscribe. I've done tons of these. They have great guests. I want them to keep coming on. Please follow us on social media. Like the post. It takes two seconds to see a video. David Green, hit the like button, hit the share button. You're on Facebook or whatever, but it really goes a long way. So I very much appreciate it. If you like the podcast, please leave a review, subscribe, hit the sponsors, nicknicknick.com slash links for everything. You want to figure out how to bring more value to your buyers, whether you're a real estate wholesaler or real estate broker agent, go to nicknicknick.com slash biggerpockets. And thank you to everybody that I came across over the last few weeks from Gracie Torrance from 10th Planet, Costa Mesa, rolling with John Cho, Common Ground Jiu-Jitsu with Alex and Sally under Sean Williams, some super, super tough people out there in Pasadena, uh, my buddy Alberto Crane, I touched base with a little bit, um, and just meeting people all over and doing some good things and making some good Jiu-Jitsu contacts, and of course, Austin, Texas, with the great, amazing man himself, John Danaher, you guys are awesome. A-game podcast. I hope everybody has a great week. Thank you.